Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Listen, seriously, five o'clock this morning, I walked out to my truck to get something and also I thought, oh, it's feeling a lot like Christmas. I mean, boy, that was nice. So grateful for that. We are going to be walking for the next six weeks through the book of 1 Peter. It's a great book. It's a phenomenal book because it is a book that is written to a newer church with newer believers. And Peter is wanting to explain things to them in a way that will help them move forward in their growth and their faith in Christ. And it's a great book. I love 1 Peter and 2 Peter in particular because as you read through the Gospels, every time, it seems like every time Peter opens his mouth, there's an oops. There's some great stuff, and there's the other stuff. And, you know, I, I relate to that. There's times where I feel like I'm doing so well, then all of a sudden it's like, boom, why did I say that? Well, I, I love First and Second Peter because as you read it, what you discover is the impact of the maturing reality of someone who is walking every day with Jesus. And you can see the change that has happened in Peter's life. You can see how God is maturing him and using him now as an elder statesman. And so we're going to be looking at this particular book in part for our own lives to be prepared for what God has for us as we go into 2024, but also as a reminder to us that it's never just about us. It's always about us and who's next. And so we're talking about living your legacy, that you are living today the legacy you will leave. If you're waiting for there to be a day in the future that suddenly you turn the corner or you make a different choice so that you can live or leave the legacy you hope you can leave, I will tell you that choice needs to happen today. Because every day we are either leaving behind us a legacy that points people to Jesus or we're leaving a legacy that the Bible describes as one that will simply just be burned up and blow away. And God has called you to live a legacy that's eternal. And so we want to talk about that. Also, I would be remiss not to tell you that on Thursday, I missed getting to be with you. I know that you were praying and that you prayed all throughout this church. And I'll tell you something that happened. I was, I was uh, leading a retreat for our pastors and wives of the TEBA. And I uh, had some time as I was stepping out, I realized at 710, I don't know what was happening, but at 710, I remember I looked at my watch because I thought, I've sensed prayer in a way that I have not sensed in a long time. And I just want to thank you. I thank you for praying for me. I thank you for praying for the pastor search committee and praying for those that you've been entrusted with. But I'm going to tell you, I know when I'm being prayed for. And it's a blessing. Some of you were concerned. You thought I was in Israel. And so you were praying for me. And I'm not in Israel. I'm right here. I'm supposed to be in Israel a week from Monday. Now, we'll see. But the reality is, look, they fight them fast over there. We're just going to see. But the reality is, is that you're never safer than being in the center of God's will. 
And so we're trusting the Lord and we're going to see what happens. So today we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper as well. This is just a great day. Cool weather, Jesus, and the Lord's Supper. I mean, sign me up. I'm for it. Well, I have to confess that I travel enough that one of the things I like to do, especially if I go to an historic town, is I like to go to cemeteries. I like to see what they write on tombstones. Because I will tell you, in the past, they were a lot more honest. They wanted to leave a memory on that tombstone. Matter of fact, let me give you a couple. In Silver City, Nevada, it says, Here lies a man named Zeke, the second fastest draw in Cripple Creek. (laughs) Sometimes they speak of their profession. In Edinburgh, Scotland, on a dentist's grave, it says this, Stranger tread this ground with gravity. Dennis Brown is filling his last cavity. Sometimes they want to get the last word. In Littleton, Colorado, there's a tombstone of a famous hypochondriac from that town that says at the end, see, I told you I was sick. (laughs) Sometimes, though, they, they speak subtly about their family. I think about one in Burlington, Vermont. It said at the end of her tombstone, she lived with her husband for 50 years. And died in the confident hope of a better life. (laughs) I had read about a tombstone in one of the works of Max Lucado. So when I moved to San Antonio years ago as a pastor, one of the things I did is I went and I found a cemetery, which at that time was not very well kept off Hebner Road. Because I wanted to see the grave that he described. It was for a woman by the name of Grace Llewellyn Smith. And at the end of her tombstone, it says this, sleeps but rests not, loved but was loved not, died as she lived, alone. And my heart broke the first time I read that. And then when I saw it in in person, as a matter of fact, I went back through this past uh, Friday and took another picture of it. I was just struck by the fact that there is no way that anybody lives their life in a way that they hope that people would describe them as never resting, never loved, and always alone. Nobody wants that kind of legacy. And so I just want to challenge us as a church to be reminded that we all have a choice about the legacy we leave. That we all have a choice about the legacy that we live. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read how you live a legacy that makes a difference. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you, born again, born again to a living hope. Let's pray. Father, as we look through your word and as we see here about 
what you have promised us. May we be grateful for what you have given and mindful of the legacy that we will leave by the choices we make each day. For we pray in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. I remind you again, this is an older apostle that is writing to a church that is full of young believers. And some of them are struggling because they've faced opposition, things are happening, they've got questions. They want to know, if I love Jesus and I'm being obedient, why am I facing trials and tribulation? And so he's writing to them, and as he writes to them, there's some things that we can pull out for ourselves. And the first one is this, make the choice to embrace your inheritance. It's one thing to be given an inheritance, it's another thing to actually receive it. And to walk in it. It says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, listen, I want you to pay attention because the inheritance that Jesus has provided you is a different kind of inheritance than was promised to Israel in this sense. They were a covenant people told, live inside the covenant. Here's the blessings you'll receive. Here's the inheritance you will experience what you need to know is that the inheritance that is promised for you is in no way based upon what you do. It is all about what Jesus did. It says that our inheritance is one of righteousness in Christ that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In other words, it can't be taken away from you. It cannot be rotted away from you. And it will not somehow fade on you. It is going to forever be maintained and contained by the presence of God on your behalf. Nobody can take it. It's yours. So hold on it clearly. Paul speaks of this in Romans 3.21 when he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating the reality that Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Because the Bible says that we are steeped in sin, that we are dead in sin, and that the only way for that to be dealt with is for God's forgiveness to come. But God is a holy and just God. He can't look at sin. He can't look at corruption. He cannot ignore it or somehow say, well, I just will give you a pass on that because to do that would violate the very character of who he is. So the only way that sin could be dealt with is for there to be a sacrifice or propitiation that would pay the freight that you and I owed. 
And the Bible says that the only one that could do that was Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. And Jesus was sent into the world and became flesh and walked among us. And he gave himself on the cross as a sacrifice on our behalf. And he took sin upon him. And he who knew no sin became sin for who? For us. And the Bible says it wasn't just for our sin, it was for the sin of what had happened before, the sin that would happen in the future, so that all people would be saved by the name of Jesus. So when you receive Jesus, and Jesus comes into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, and he forgives your sin, your inheritance isn't based upon, now you better be good, instead you do good works because you're in love with him. But the good works don't seal you. Jesus' blood seals you. And your inheritance is held secure by the Lord on your behalf because when he sees you, he sees the sacrifice of his son. God never looks upon you without looking through the lens of the shed blood of Jesus. He loves you. He loves you. And he wants you to know the certainty of your salvation and of your inheritance through Jesus Christ. A righteousness that is based upon being and not doing. There's one other thing too. Make the choice then not to waste your trials. Make the choice not to waste your trials. You see, here's the reality. Trials are going to come. Now, let's very quickly look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, listen, when you know Jesus and as you walk with him, you're going to go through trials. You're going to go through testing. It's going to come. But it'd be very important to distinguish some things because sometimes people mix these up. Let's be clear about something. Temptation is about sin. And God doesn't tempt you to sin. Temptation is what the enemy does. Temptation, frankly, is what some of us volunteer for. Because temptations can come from the flesh, they can come from the enemy, they come from around us. But the reality is temptation drives us toward a choice for sin. But testing is a moment of time that we face where a choice is involved. And it's not about sin, it's about obedience. It's like what happened with Gideon. The question was, Gideon, are you going to trust God or not? And so there are times of testing where as a family we make a choice. We make a choice. I, I know some of us have gone through financial challenges. And I can remember in my own family being at a place where I was choosing between something that we wanted and tithing. And we trusted God and we tithed. And he did something miraculous for us. But there's been other times where I literally have been on the floor and I'm stacking quarters so I can get enough together to give my tithe and there wasn't a miracle after that. 
Faithfulness isn't about the reward. Faithfulness is about a heart response in love. So when you come to a time of testing, it's going to come. But trials are different because trials may involve temptation and they could involve testing. But this is what you need to know about trials. (coughs) Excuse me. Trials take a period of time. They're not a moment. They're a season. And some seasons are very long. Some seasons are shorter. Years ago, I was, I was uh, mindful of this as I was thinking through the reality of what God lets us go through. And I was thinking about this young church, and I thought, you know, there was people in this young church, and they were saying, what's happening? Why is this happening? What, why, what's this about? They were getting opposition from religious leaders. I looked at them and said, you're believing fairy tales. Matter of fact, we think that you're idolaters. Because you're believing something we don't believe. They were getting pressure from their families. Their families were looking at them and saying, what do you mean you've given your heart to Jesus? What do you mean that you no longer believe in our family religion? What do you mean you no longer believe the way we believe? And their families were upset with them. And Rome was upset with them. There was governmental interference and there was things that were happening. And all of a sudden they were put in situations saying why is this happening to us and I want to remind you again about what we talked about and that is don't waste don't waste the times of your trials don't waste what God wants to do because there's a benefit in the refining process let me talk a little bit I'm using acrostic to do that the word refine I just want to give you some quick things to think about as you think about going through that refining process the first is this When you go through a refining process, you will realize your need. We realize our needs when we go through refining process. We realize what matters. Because it's so easy to get worried about stuff. It's so easy to get worried about things that are small and petty. But there's nobody in an emergency room worried about what's for lunch. They realize their need. The second is when we go through times of refining, as people watch us go through it, as we go through it in a way that honors the Lord, it brings an encouragement to other people. And it brings an encouragement to us. Because as we go through it, we get to experience what God is doing. We get to experience his faithfulness. And as we're experiencing that, other people are watching that. And when they see you walk through trials in a way that shows that Jesus is sufficient, they are attracted to Jesus. They want to understand how, how can you go through this and yet Trust God. What is going on? What is happening? One other thing trials will do for you, you'll find your focus. You will find your focus. Listen, when everything is great and everything just coasting along and everything's good and everywhere you go, it's, it's rainbows and lollipops. It's easy to kind of live in this little gauzy haze. But you walk through a season of of trial. When you walk through a season of pain, you walk through a season of saying, Lord, I don't even know where my child is. You will find your focus like a laser beam. Second, or rather I, you'll inspire others. 
As people watch you, it'll inspire them. I will tell you, when you're walking through a time of hurt, you want to walk with somebody that's living in hurt or been through hurt. You're not looking for somebody with just a big smile and a plastic look and says, it'll be fine. You want somebody to look at you and say, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But Jesus will get you through this. Let me tell you what he did in my life. I love you. I want to be with you. And we don't even have to talk about anything. I just want to sit here with you. But you need to know you're loved. When you walk through trials in an appropriate way, it is inspirational. Another thing it'll do, it'll help you know you need to grow. Mountaintops are fun, but valleys teach you to dig. They teach you to walk close. When David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, your rod and your staff that comforted me. The thing about the valley and the shadow is even when I can't see to take the next step, I can feel his direction as he uses his rod and his staff to keep me on the path and to keep me out of danger. One last thing with that. When you walk through God's refining process, you're going to encounter the living God. You're going to meet God in a way you've never met him before. You're going to find out things. You're going to find out when it says that Jesus sticks closer than our brother. You're going to find out about the fellowship of suffering. And whatever suffering you're walking through or have walked through, you need to know this. Jesus has already been there. He knows all about it. I remember one particular time when I was walking through a challenging time. I was in Chicago and Warren Wiersbe was preaching. I was just blessed because he was talking about this same passage and he made this comment. He said, you need to know that when you're in the furnace, God's eye is on the clock and his hand is on the thermostat and he is not going to let it be one degree hotter than it has to be and he's not going to leave you one second longer than you have to stay. I don't understand why it is that so much of my growth has come through times of trial and brokenness. But isn't that true for all of us? He meets us in a different way. And sometimes we just don't understand. We don't understand why God would let it happen or what God is doing. But I'm reminded that God has our best at heart. When I was in that period of life of engagement, my wife and I were engaged for 18 months, lived in two different cities. I don't recommend either one. But the reality was it was not much fun. I'm in Oklahoma City. I'm working for one of my dad's companies, construction companies. We're building this huge church. And as I'm working for those several months, one of the things I noticed is the guy that was in charge, the foreman, every single dirty job there was, he gave it to me. Every one of them. If somebody broke something else, I got to fix it. Somebody messed something up, I got to fix it. Somebody did it wrong, I got to undo it and, and do it. I mean, every time it got to the place where I finally I walked in and I looked at him, I said, I, I just need to talk to you because I don't understand. 
And I explained all the things that had happened over the last couple of months and, and how I thought it wasn't fair and how I watched these other guys and, and they got to make the mistakes but not correct the mistakes. And, and I was, you know, I was just laying out my, you know, out before him. And he, and he looked at me and goes, well, Roger, he said, there's two things you need to know. He said, the first thing is you're not paid as much as they are. Now I'm upset. Because we're both journeymen. I mean, what do you mean I'm not getting paid what they're getting paid? He said, the second thing you need to know is your dad set your salary and your dad told me to give you every bad job I could. <laughs> huh? So I'm driving home and my mind is rolling and I'm thinking about the conversation I'm about to have. And my dad was four inches smaller than me, but 12 feet taller. You understand? In my view, it took a lot for me to walk in. And so, didn't say anything that night. The next morning, we were up drinking coffee, and I sat down with him. I said, I need to lay some, something out to you. So, I laid out to him how unfair things were. I laid out to him how he was not paying me correctly and that I should be paid at least what these guys were worth. And then I laid out how unfair it was that he had given me every bad job that was possible. I mean, what, what were you thinking? What, what have I done? What is it that... And so he let me talk and let me talk and finally I quit. He said, well, two things. One, I'll talk to the foreman and I'm going to pay you whatever he says you're worth. So I'll do that. He said, the second thing is, what you have to understand is you're three months away from getting married. And I knew that you were going to be working on your own. And I knew that you were going to be doing whatever work you could do to get through seminary. And I just wanted to make sure that there would never be one single job that anybody sent you to that you couldn't say, oh, I've done that. I fixed that before. And I'm driving away thinking, God, how fortunate am I that I have an earthly father that was looking out for me. And I get a 40% raise. I mean, it was a good day. But I will tell you that in my mind, all I saw was the unfairness of that moment. While all that time, an earthly father who loved me was trying to take care of me. And prepare me so I could do what he needed me to be able to do later. But I was seeing it unclearly. And I don't know how many times with my Heavenly Father, who loves me so much more, loves me so much more perfectly, how many times he has walked me through fire and walked you through fire, and you think, why is this fair? And he just wants to say to us, it's not about you. Just wait. Just wait. I'm going to use this. And unless you'd walk through what you're walking through right now, you wouldn't be ready for what's coming. There's another choice. Make the choice to love in faith. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And see, sometimes we forget when we read the New Testament how so many of these people, especially in the letters that are written, so many of these people, they'd never seen Jesus. 
Sometimes we look and we think, well, if he's writing to that church, they all met Jesus. Almost none of them had met Jesus. They learned about Jesus just like you did. They learned about Jesus just the same way as you. Somebody loved them enough to tell them. Somebody preached the word. Somebody shared. And they came to faith. And Peter says to them, you've got a special blessing because you believe even though you've not seen him. But you believe. It reminds of what Jesus said to Thomas in John 20, 29. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Listen, I'd have given anything to be on the earth when Jesus walked the earth and to be able to see him. That's why I'm still praying to be able to, get to go to Israel. I mean, it's an amazing journey. But do you know that you get to do something, that Jesus gets to say something to you that doesn't get to be said to any apostle? He gets to say to you, you trusted me when you had not met me. You trust me when you hadn't even seen me. You trusted by faith. And yes, they trusted by faith, but you know what? You said yes to Jesus because you trusted what he was doing in your life. One other choice. Make the choice to live outside of yourselves. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time of the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. And Peter says, I want to remind you that all these prophets, all these people that wrote the scripture, as they searched the word, as they looked at the word, they came to realize something. This wasn't about them. It was about you. It was about the day that you would meet Jesus. It was about what God was going to do in your life. It was about what God is doing in your lives today. That this wasn't just for them. It was for generations to come. And you and I are called to live in a way that is not just about us. But it's about those that God is calling to him. And that's why we serve, and that's why we, we know more and more, and that's why we commit to growth, is because we know that it can never be enough just to know something about Jesus. We need to know Jesus. We need to spend time with him. Amen. We need to grow in him. And so as we gather in just a few moments to do the Lord's Supper, I want to remind you that this is the gathering of the family of God coming together, recognizing the body that was broken and the blood that was shed that proclaims the mystery of the gospel. And the Bible says that we're not to take the Lord's Supper in a way that our hearts aren't prepared. So in just a few moments, I'm going to take just a little bit of time, a prayer time, where I'm going to be at the front, some deacon families will be available upstairs as well as down here, for you to be able to have a chance to pray. Now, for some of you, it may be that you don't know Jesus, and today's the day that you need to embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
or it is that you need to take that first step and you've not made a public confession about knowing Christ or taking the step toward baptism or there could be some other decision or perhaps you're walking through the fire and you've not really told anybody. And I'm going to tell you, your church family wants to put its arms around you. You tell us what is happening. You can tell these deacons. You can tell people sitting right around you. And they can pray for you right where you are. If you ask somebody to pray for you and their eyes get big, go to the next person. Say, you will come with me. And you go until the eyes look normal. But let's be able to minister to one another because this is about the family loving on the family. So we're going to pray there. We're going to stand together and have a time of heart preparation. Father, thank you so much for being willing to take us through the fire. Thank you so much, so much, for Lord, that we never go to the fire by ourselves. That just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when the king looked and said, I see a fourth man, and his appearance is likened to the Son of God. That, Lord, we're never in that fire alone. You're right there with us. So, Father, encourage us today and give us a reminder that you love us, that you're with us, and that you will be faithful always to us. In the holy and precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.